You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Venizio, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. But as we consider nature, what do we find out about God? Well, we find out that God is the master designer and genius in his creation of all life, the physical universe. We think about all of the intricacies of life, the many facets of life, and we learn something about the greatness of God through nature. In the 19th Psalm in verse 1, David declared, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Today, Pastor Mike tells us about King David's conversation with his son, Solomon. He recounts his life from days of tending his father's sheep all the way to being king of Israel. Woven through it all is his relationship with God. No doubt when David was alone out in the field with the sheep at night, he was awestruck by the vastness of the heavens. He knew God personally in so many ways. And in looking at the stars and all of creation, he could see that they bore witness of the true God. Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of 1 Chronicles 28 as he begins his message, David's Last Will and Testament. the last in that series of studies in the book of 2 Samuel. We closed out chapter 24, which was the last chapter in 2 Samuel, but I want to draw your attention to a text of scripture that's recorded first in 1 Chronicles. So grab your Bibles, if you would. In 1 Chronicles, in chapter 28, and verse 9, the title is David's Last Will and Testament, and that's the reason why I included this message with our series, The Making of a Man of God, to close out our studies in the book of 2 Samuel. So 1 Chronicles chapter 28, and verse 9. So let's go ahead and read that text, and then we'll ask God's blessing on the remainder of our time together in prayer as we study the word. So 1 Chronicles chapter 28, and verse 9. As for you, my son Solomon, know the God of your father, and serve him with a loyal heart and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches all hearts and understands all the intent of our thoughts. If you seek him, he will be found by you, but if you forsake him, he will cast you off forever. Father, we pray now that you would use this text of Scripture to encourage your people, Lord, to minister to each one in a very relevant and personal way. Lord, we pray that we would receive of your counsel from the Word. God, these are the things that are so very important. 
as David is just looking back on his own life and his experience, his walk with you, through all of the highs and the lows and the victories as well as the failures. And these are the conclusions that he had come to, that he's passing along to his son Solomon, who is now about to become the next king over Israel. And it's a message that if we yield ourselves to, we will receive blessings on top of blessings. Lord, that we will be successful in in everything that we put our hand to in all of our endeavors. And so, Lord, uh, use this message to that end. Lord, bless your people. God, as always, would ask that my words would be your words. God, we thank you again for providing this opportunity. Lord, bless now, for we ask all of these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Okay, let me set up this morning's Bible study for you by saying, David is probably now, I would say, about 70 years old. The Lord would take him home shortly, according to one of the texts that I'll cross-reference for you in just a moment. He knew that. The many years of war had taken its toll upon David, and so as I've already suggested, he's now reflecting back upon his life. He's sort of surveying his life. He's remembering his youthful days as a shepherd, tending to his flocks on the side of a mountaintop, alone with God, meditating day and night upon God's word. In fact, it was then, upon that mountaintop, tending to his father, Jesse's sheep, where he wrote many of the Psalms that are recorded for us in the book of Psalms. And, you know, many Bible teachers have suggested that that was David's greatest accomplishment of all of the things in the ways that God had used him One of his greatest accomplishments was his writing of the book of Psalms. He's also remembering the day when he stood in the valley of Elah against the champion of the Philistines, Goliath of Gath, and the victory that had been given to him by the Lord. He's thinking about the many years of pursuit through the countryside in an unsuccessful tent by King Saul to take his life. His years in exile as a leader of a bunch of outcasts of society and pirateers, mercenaries. The Bible refers to those men, there were 600 in all, as David's valiant men. Looking back to his coronation day, when all of Israel pledged their allegiance to David as their king. So through all of the wars, the conflicts and problems that beset David, through all of the glorious experiences of knowing God and his power, through the times of his rebellion and sin, his folly, remember, with Bathsheba, committing adultery, trying to hide his tracks, which led to the murder of her husband Uriah. Through all of the highs and lows, through all of the experiences of his life, and all the valuable lessons learned, David comes to these final conclusions in which he seeks to pass them along to his son Solomon. That which matters most in life, the key that unlocks all of God's heavenly resources and makes them available to us. Gang, this is David's last will and testament. The man who lived life, experienced life to the fullest. And again, as I've mentioned, he's addressing his son Solomon, who would soon become Israel's king. So therefore, it also serves as the secrets to success. That which also enables us to be successful in our lives and field of endeavor. With all of the problems that goes along with it. Okay, so let's go into these final exhortations of David. The first of which is, go back to our text, 1 Chronicles chapter 28 and verse 9. The first thing that David exhorts his son is so very important, 
set it as a priority in your life as well as our lives as well. That is, we are to know God. Notice there in 1 Chronicles in chapter 28, verse 9, David put it this way. Know thou the God of thy father. Now that word know in the Hebrew is the Hebrew word yada, And it literally means of a surety. So know God of a, a surety. And know the love of God, the power of God, the forgiveness of God, the correction of God. And notice David is very careful to refer to God as his personal God. Know the God of thy Father. Notice he personalizes his relationship with God. In other words, it's no abstract concept of what he's speaking of in his own personal experience and relationship with God. And how important it is for all of us to know God. In the book of Hosea, in chapter 4 and verse 6, here's an indictment that was brought against the nation of Israel. He tells us there that my people are destroyed for lack of the knowledge of God. So, how important it is that we know God, of a surety. But here's the question. How do you know God? Well, we can only know God as he has revealed himself to us. You remember back in the book of Job, one of Job's counselors, one of Job's friends, a fellow whose name was Zophar, and he said to Job, who by searching can find out God to perfection? And that's recorded for us in the book of Job in chapter 11 in verse 7. And by the way, this is going to be a part of an eternal occupation for us. And it's never going to end. And it's going to continue throughout eternity. You know, even when we finally arrive at our destination in heaven, we're going to receive revelation on top of revelation of who God is. It's going to take an entire eternity uh, to know God to perfection. Now, there are a variety of different ways that in which we can know God presently. For example, nature is one of the ways that we can know God. But even nature only tells us a part of the story of God. It doesn't tell us the full story. But as we consider nature, what do we find out about God? Well, we find out that God is the master designer and genius in his creation of all life, the physical universe. We think about all of the intricacies of life, the many facets of life, and we learn something about the greatness of God through nature. In the 19th Psalm, in verse 1, David declared, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Now, one of the best ways to know God presently is through the Bible, because it's there in the Bible that we find God's revelation of himself to man. And so to know God, you must know him through his word as he has revealed himself through his word. And that's the reason why we place such a high premium upon the study of God's word here at Harvest Christian Fellowship. Because it's there that we have the record of God's dealing with mankind. And it's the only true way of formulating the reality of God and who he is. And so the first exhortation that David shares with his son Solomon is to know God, the importance of knowing God. But then notice here in our text, he goes on, and David's next exhortation is serve him with an undivided heart. Notice they are also contained within that verse there in verse 9. Serve him with a perfect or an undivided heart. 
You know, David himself one time prayed, and it's recorded for us in the 86th Psalm, unite my heart to serve you. And listen, this is exactly one of the problems today is that people have a divided heart in their service to God. And yes, there is that desire to want to know God and to serve God, but then there is also present this desire for the things of the world. It's sort of like a tug of war that goes on within each and every one of us. Thus, their service to God is divided. And so David is warning his son here as well as us this morning against letting this happen. And I want you to think about it. He's addressing his son Solomon, who's going to be out to be the next king. And as a king, I want you to think about all of the many things that were at his disposal and uh, all of the different opportunities for temptation as well as sin. So this is very important that David leave this exhortation with his son Solomon. Now, Jesus refers to this in Mark's gospel in chapter 4, in verses 18 and 19, In other words, the idea here of this particular parable is don't allow anything to come into your life that would divide your heart and your service to God. Are you familiar with that particular parable? It's known as the parable of the sower and the seed. And the seed in this parable, he uses the analogy for the word of God. So the seed is the word of God that is planted into a variety of different individuals' hearts and the different ways that they respond or the things that prevent or hinder them, uh, that seed that's been planted by God in the hearts of those individuals to bring forth a desired fruit that God is looking for. Now, in verses there in that text, and you might want to read the entire parable, but in verses 18 and 19, let's go ahead and survey that. Now, these are the ones sown among the thorns. In other words, he's thinking about the cares and the riches of this world, the things that the world has to offer. They are the ones, the individuals who hear the word, even as we hear the word, receive the word this morning. But notice, but the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. So again, the problem with the undivided heart. Jesus also said in Matthew's Gospel in chapter 6, in verse 24, No man can serve two masters, for he either will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon, that is, riches. So, the second bit of instruction that David passes along to his son Solomon, serve God with a complete heart. Don't let your service be divided unto God. So we need to guard ourselves against that. Some good advice. The third exhortation that David serves up for us here has to do with, notice, let's go back to our text there in verse 9. We need to be in agreement with God. That is, when we read the word of God, we need to be in agreement with it without any doubt, and give ourselves completely over to the instructions that are contained within it. Notice he says there in verse 9, and with a willing mind. Now sometimes we find ourselves in rebellion against God, and God has difficulty moving us along. We're dragging our heels. 
you know, we receive the message, like for example this morning, and how are we going to respond to it? Are we going to apply it in our lives, in our life's experience, or are we going to drag our feet? You know, are we going to give ourselves completely to it? Are we going to have that willing mind? God said it, I believe it, I'm going to respond to it in the correct way. And so serve him with a willing mind. You know, be like the members of the church at Thessalonica in 1 Thessalonians in chapter 1 in verse 3, where Paul commends them for certain attributes that mark them as believers there at that church. Remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love. Notice all of the different characteristics that mark the members of that church. Oh, God, help us to be exactly like those at Thessalonica. Remember without ceasing. This was Paul thanking God in every remembrance of them. Like, for example, as, as a pastor of the church, as I think about the entire congregation and the things that mark us, you know, are these the same attributes? Remember without ceasing your work of faith. I'm thanking God for the faith that exists within the members of our church, their labor of love, their patience of hope in our Lord, Jesus Christ, in the sight of our God and Father. So Paul is commending these attributes here. So these were obviously individuals who were absolutely in agreement with God and everything that God had written in his word. But then notice he also goes on. Let's go back to our text. This is the next exhortation. He says, remember that we are under God's scrutiny. He puts it this way in verse 9. For the Lord searcheth all hearts and understandeth all the imaginations of our thoughts. Hey, listen, if you need any motivation, you know, for absolutely obeying God and the things that have been recorded for us in his word, well, here it is. We need to take this to mind. God is searching our hearts, and he understands the imaginations of our thoughts. You know, David addresses the same issue in the 139th Psalm in verses 1 through 5. He declares, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. God is searching you right now, and he knows you. Every aspect, everything that's going on in your life. You know my sitting down and my rising up. Before the chemicals even mix in our mind, in our brain, where we have the thought, you know, my legs are getting a little stiff, I need to stand up and stretch a little bit. Even before the chemicals mix in our mind, where we have the thought, I need to stand, God knows that we're going to stand, you see. Such knowledge is so wonderful, David declares. You understand my thoughts from afar off. God knows exactly what you're thinking. Verse 3, you comprehend my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all of my ways. For there is not a word on my tongue, but behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. And then finally, you have hedged me behind and before and you have laid your hand upon me. And so we need to take this to mind. God is searching our hearts and understands the imaginations of our thoughts. You know, there was this awesome thing that happened to the prophet Ezekiel. It's recorded for us in chapter 8 of his book, in verses 7 through 10, where there we are told Ezekiel is given a vision by God. 
And God spoke to Ezekiel and he said, listen, Ezekiel, I'm going to take you back to the city of Jerusalem. And so he took him within the walls of the city of Jerusalem and he allowed him to look around and see all the stuff that was contained and written on the walls. And God said, Ezekiel, don't misunderstand what's going on here. I've rather taken you into the minds of the people of Israel. And Ezekiel saw all of these filthy pictures that were within their minds. He saw all of these abominations. And God said, I let you look into their minds. You've been sitting in their brains. You've been looking at the walls of their minds. The thoughts and the imaginations that were there in their minds. A pretty amazing experience for Ezekiel. You know, I wonder, what would Ezekiel see if he entered into the recesses of my mind as well as your mind? What would he see? Would he see abominations? Would he see all of these creeping things? All of what is recorded for us there in that chapter there in the book of Ezekiel? So the point is, is that God searches the heart. And he understands the imaginations of the mind. And that is why in the New Testament, in 2 Corinthians in chapter 10 and verse 5, we are told to bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Jesus Christ. We need to guard our minds. We need to be careful what we allow ourselves to think about. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews in chapter 4 and verse 13, all things are naked and opened unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Listen, gang, you can't hide a thing from God. And so therefore, what should we do? Serve him with a willing mind. Because he knows even in your mind if there is any hesitation, any rebellion, any sin. But then notice he also goes on, and this is the last exhortation that served up for us there in verse 9. And this has to do with our staying upon the straight and narrow. What does it say there in verse 9? He says, if thou seek him, he will be found of thee. But if you forsake him, he will cast you off forever. And you know, there's always this danger of really not having the right kind of a relationship with the Lord, whereby we're just really going through the motions. We've already deviated off of the straight and the narrow, and now we're just playing at being members of the church. We know all of the spiritual jargon, praise the Lord, hallelujah, we use all of those words, all of that terminology. You know, I think of Israel. Israel had departed from anything that was a true relationship with God. You know, religion, you've got to be really careful about religion because, you know, false religion can have an intoxicating effect upon man. It becomes a substitute for a real experience and walk with the Lord. So we need to be very careful about that. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be. In the book of 2 Samuel, the king God anointed is finally on the throne. King David, the man after God's heart is in the place God planned for him. Yet David is still human. And as you continue to study this book with Pastor Mike, 
You'll see that fact time and time again. David falls to the temptation of sin and reaps the consequences of his actions. But he does do one thing consistently. David repents when confronted and returns to the Lord. What an example of faithfulness and mercy. God forgives his chosen leader and restores the relationship that sin had broken. This same God is merciful to you, too, and his forgiveness is just as real when you come to him in repentance. Thanks for listening today to In My Father's House. You can explore more of these messages by searching for In My Father's House with Mike Venizio on your favorite podcast platform. And be sure to subscribe. If you're looking for a place in Midtown Manhattan to come together with others and worship Jesus, we'd love to have you join us this Sunday for worship at Harvest Christian Fellowship. You'll find directions and service times at harvestnyc.org. If this broadcast is an encouragement to you, would you consider supporting us? If you feel led, we're thankful for any financial support. In fact, you can donate securely on our website. Again, that's harvestnyc.org. Thanks for partnering with us in this way. That's all for today. Tune in next time for more on In My Father's House. In my Father's House.